Welcome to another Leaders Performance Podcast episode. This time it's part of our State of Play series. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners who may have subscribed to our At Home with Leaders podcast. But if not, I'd like to say hello, a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. The pace of change in sport has accelerated and it feels like we are entering a new era, but what is the state of play and how is high performance evolving? The Leader State of Play series explores these themes across a series of webinars, articles and podcasts. And a new era for performance also means a new era for the Leaders Performance Institute. It's been working hard behind the scenes to provide our members with more access to the diverse knowledge, skills and networks they need as performance environments evolve. If you want to push your thinking and actions even further, find out more about joining our unrivaled network of the world's high performance community by visiting our website leadersinsupport.com forward slash performance. Now on to today's episode, as always, it's a joy to have top sports psychologist and my co-host Michael Caulfield alongside me once again for another episode. How are you this afternoon, Michael? I'm particularly well because to my left I can see an international football team training and to my right I can see an international rugby team training, so I'm the luckiest fella in the UK today. That does sound lucky. Sounds lovely. Well, our guest today is someone I don't know particularly well, but have admired from afar. And he's been in the audience at our events in the past. And that's Premier League manager. And most recently with Watford, it's Nigel Pearson. Good afternoon, Nigel. How are you today? Yeah, I'm okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Whereabouts in the world are you speaking to us from? Devon. Lovely. Absolutely brilliant. Well, we'll get straight stuck in. I know you've uh, done a lot of talking to people over the last week or so, and it's been great to hear you. Um, you know, speaking about things, but how you know, if we do get stuck in, how have you reflected both on on lockdown and, and I guess the period um, coming out of uh, from the time of Watford? Well, I mean, time to reflect is for me always important. You know, if you, if you go from uh, one job to another pretty quickly, I think you you have to put things to bed, so to speak, in your own mind pretty quickly. <laughs> when I left Watford, it was a bit of a shock, but it also coincided with me actually having to deal with a, one or two health problems. So it's been about recovering for me, but it's also, it's important to try and reflect on what's happened. And I think this, this year in particular has been problematical for all of us in terms of trying to deal with different situations. So there's been a lot of reflection going on in, in my head, but also I've had time to do that. Yeah. And not be pressured into doing uh, into going into another job pretty quickly so i'm okay i'm okay and nigel i know like myself you used walking fresh air connecting with nature the hills the mountains the lakes and has that helped with you to with illness with with grief that with losing work etc was that a very helpful time for you to be outside and in the in the very in the just connecting with nature well i'm very lucky that where i live i'm on the doorstep of it. So even if even if the weather's pretty bad or even if I'm not feeling able to go out and, and exercise, I'm I'm still in the midst of it anyway. So I think just from a purely psychological sort of well being, it's nice to be so close to it. I mean I've always had a uh, a love for the great outdoors. I've always been active and, and my pastimes outside of the work environment do take me into yeah, a slightly different world, so to speak. I, I think one of the important things is to is to try and understand your own needs in terms of where you can get a release or where you can find yourself in a place where you can, like I talked about already, reflection. I mean, sometimes I, I go out and I've just got an empty head and that's rather nice as well. You know, sometimes it's not about thinking, it's just about being. And that sounds a bit flowery, but that's how it is. It's not flowery. And I always say to 
to players and to athletes in all sports. I wish they would play with an empty head because I feel sometimes they come onto the pitch weighed down with other instructions, information or anxieties about how well it might go. So I'm stealing empty head from you if I may, but the amount of time you spent, even in your most recent role at Watford, was the time you spent investing in people yeah. and getting to know people, not not just the players, because I read an interview with you about the security gates, about the grounds, about the ground staff there, about everyone. And is it just, Nigel, that beautiful old-fashioned way of spending time with them and being interested in them? And why is that so important to you as, as a leader? I feel it's a, I think it's a, a basic need of human beings, and that is to be valued, whatever working environment that you're in clearly there's going to be some level of hierarchy there's, there's going to be a, a pecking order there's going to be uh, jobs which may be more important than others but everybody has a role to play and everybody has a function in a business i just think it it's it shows respect for people <laughs> that, every, that 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 you recognize that they're there I'm not saying that you look going into somewhere like Watford where time was not a commodity that we had a lot of going in there, Craig and myself, because you go into a situation where it's a pretty desperate situation. So interesting talk about freeing people's heads up because we could talk about tactics and, and formations till we we could go round and round in circle. But what was very evident, if you look at the statistic from the season running up to when I joined Watford, for, for a club like Watford not to have won at home, something that sits outside of ability that's that's going on. And, and so I suppose as much as anything, it, it's trying to create an environment in which people enjoy being to start with. Because if you've got a belief that, if we're just talking in the football in the sense now that the players the ability of the players is is there to be able to achieve results or the possibility of achieving results, then I think you've got to address other things. So I just think it's a human need. Not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants to get close or I invest time, but I, but I'm not pushy with it. I think it's I think it's important to at least recognise people. And so for me, I want to enjoy walking into a building. I I want to. You know, I, I don't want a situation where people sit on the same table to eat with the people of a similar similar hierarchy standard and, 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 and status within a building. They are very, very simple things, but I actually think they're very, very important. And um, I suppose it's to do with my own beliefs and my own personality, I suppose, as much as anything. I, I wouldn't say I'm the most gregarious person in the world, but in the workplace, yeah, it's a, it's a slightly different dynamic. A couple of words that come to mind, Nigel, connection and communication. You yeah. touched upon it there, and I think they probably spring to mind when I certainly think of, of you as a leader. I mean, how much do you focus on, on communication and connection when working with the modern athlete of today? I think it's increasingly important to be clear, clarity of message. You know, I, I don't want to sound as though it's all touchy-feely. It, there's a there's an element of the human side, but actually there's there still needs to be, and I think play... The modern player is very informed about the game that they're involved in. And so, you know, players will always test your knowledge for sure. And I think it's important to give direction through clear messages. And somebody asked me a couple of questions last week. And one of the things that I, a sort of sentence that I used, it was, it's not about showcasing your knowledge. It's not about telling everybody how much you know. It's about simplifying the message making it clear and understanding that actually in a team sport there are going to be players who understand the message quicker if it's if it's delivered in a 
in just a, a practical sense outside. So you've got to be aware of the needs of the players. And, and so trying to push all the right buttons by having a clear message out on the field, by investing time, by checking understanding with players. And it's not always, it doesn't have to always be me. It can be a different voice, one of the other members of staff who possibly have a good connection with an individual to check the message as well. So I suppose it's always about making sure that there is a clarity and that the players are then trusted to go out there and, and enact it because they're the ones who are on the pitch who, who actually go and, and do the business, so to speak. So for me, it's ever evolving and ever changing picture that you've got to have your eyes, ears and open to because you've got to be able to feel it and sense it as well. There's lots of things going on in a team environment and depending on the types of pressures that the players are under as well, you know, you, you have to be able to not always react. You've got to anticipate it sometimes and give a different solution or help the players find the solution so that they, you know, sometimes, you know, one of the best things you can do is allow the players to feel that they are finding the solutions. And there's nothing wrong with that unless you've got a huge ego and you don't want them to. <laughs> it depends on how you work, basically. I often say as we, as we get older, they yet get younger. But I sense from your time, particularly at Watford, and that's the one which was most recent in the memory, that you almost form that instant connection with them and they and you trusted them and they trusted you. And I think I'm sure I'm allowed to give Cle Craig Shakespeare, your trusted number two, I mentioned at that point. Mm. But have you found it harder uh, recently uh, as a coach, manager and leader to connect with Generation Z and millennial athletes? Or do you still find that they, they want to talk to you, want to, want to listen to you? I think there are going to be differences from time to time, for sure, because finding, finding a way to connect with people, I think, is very, very important. But I think it's also important not to try and force it as well, because it, it's it's... Just because we're from different generations doesn't necessarily mean that they're wired totally differently. I mean, I, <laughs> my kids are 29 and 27. I get through their sarcasm from time to time. <laughs> uh, you know, no, but, it, but, but it's interesting when they say, yeah, but dad, that's how we communicate. And it's always interesting to hear that type of a comment because... So, for instance, if you look at how social media is such a big part of the world that we live in now, and yet, you know, am I a big player in it? No. But that's not to say that I don't recognize its benefits and its threats as well. And it's, you know, but the world changes. And I think the most important thing is to have a, an awareness of the differences. But again, in my experience, even though generations are players of different generations, they still are human beings who respond very much to compassion, empathy. You know, these things are, are, are still very, very... In the football world, just as an example, there would be uh, the number of times now that players, I'm not saying they abdicate responsibility, but it could be in previous generations that there would just be direct dialogue. And now it might be through a third party. You, you've just got to be, there's no point getting overly frustrated about that. And and I don't actually. I, I'm, I can live very much with the fact that if a player needs to speak to somebody either beyond me through somebody else, as long as I'm in the picture somewhere along there, you know, I don't get overly precious about that because you've got to try and put it into the context of what you're trying to get out of players. And that is for them to perform. That's the, for me, that is the, that is the underlying most important thing is that 
we have to try and find the right way to push the buttons of individuals to allow them to perform to the best of their ability. And so it's becoming complex, but if you've got an open mind yourself, you've got the opportunity to learn yourself as you go. Because, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm finding now and always have done that doesn't matter how long you've been doing whatever you do, you learn something always. I think that's great, Nigel. Appreciate that. And, and you've been with some, te- you know, you've been with teams who have been winning a lot, and you've been other teams where winning has been maybe more difficult at times. So how yeah. do you balance that? Um, you know, remaining positive with players, but also being realistic with them. You know, there must be a far, hard balance to find sometimes. For me, it's about trying to keep the focus very much on on the present. You probably heard people talk in terms of making a season into into chunks, so to speak. So. I think if you if you set targets that aren't achievable um, or you set targets that after one, two games become even more impossible or seemingly more impossible to hit, you're actually adding more pressure to players. So I think it's really trying to get get them to focus on basically what they can affect themselves. And, and I think, again, now with, with, with sport, you know, we live in a world where there's 24-hour news, and unless you choose to turn away from it totally, you're going to come across news stories all the time. So I suppose it's very difficult to isolate your thinking, but but if you can do that and just concentrate very much on, you know, one of the things that you know, phrases affect what we can affect, let's concentrate on us. Let's not worry about what anybody else is saying. Don't worry about and that's easy to say and not necessarily easy to do but what you can also back that up with is your behavior so you know one of the things I'm more even though even feeling not not very good one of the things I always try to do is concentrate on keeping my behaviors not necessarily constant but to keep them as level as possible so if a defeat or a victory that my visible mood outwardly is not noticeably different and I think that can uh, a calming influence as well so it's very important to, to try and create we talk very much about the the year at Leicester where we avoided relegation you know one of the things that I said to many journalists in that season is you wouldn't necessarily know what stage of the season we were at if you came in at any point of that season and and I think that's something which was I mean, I mean that group of players have been together a while but uh, that was actually the truth and and it's because there was a, a clarity of what we were trying to do and there was a, a belief in ourselves even when everybody else externally was doubting us so that's not to say that inside me sometimes I was not feeling like that I mean, you know, but but that's where you talked about Craig earlier. That's why it's important sometimes, and and Craig would know this that I, I would sometimes choose to not be there because I, I I thought it was in the interest of everybody if I wasn't there. So if I could feel my mood not being conducive to us being positive, I, I think on those occasions you have to learn to take yourself out of it because it's not about making yourself feel better. It's about to keep a constant feel within the place. Well, Nigel, you won't know this, but I think now is the time to say this. And Matt, please don't edit this out of the podcast, even if we run into Fergie time. But I still believe that I am the person solely responsible for keeping you up that year. Because that year, Nigel, I was working at Hull City, uh, who didn't survive the drop. And you came to us the Saturday before Christmas. It was our Christmas party that night, which was the most miserable Christmas party I've ever been to in my entire life, including this year. Because you won 1-0. Uh, we hit the post, the bar, cleared off the line, everything. And if we'd got a point or one, we'd have gone seven to ten points clear of you and 
It was the 21st December, you won one nil, and that was the start of your run. And so mm. to this day, I will claim responsibility for keeping Leicester or that club keeping Leicester City up because you might remember the day it was. It was a well-fought game. I think we should have scored. You won one nil, and the rest is history. And Hull City was managed by Steve Bruce. Mm. Uh, I've got a lot of, I've got time, respect, everything for for Steve Bruce. He taught me so much in my three years working with him, Nigel. My pet hate in football and life is people dissing old school because old school stood up for manners and discipline and behaviours and values and trust and turning up and doing your best. So I hate that phrase. But what I've seen, Nigel, I don't know if you agree, is the the game has changed so much even the last 12 months, let alone the last 12 years. How do we try and adopt new ways of working with the old school approach and simply doing the basics well? Because I still believe, even now, Nigel, we have to do the basics well. Yeah, I think it's how it's how you frame the message, basically, is probably the, the, the easiest way for me to put it. Old school. You know, sometimes I get labelled with being old school. I, I, I don't know what old school is. I think old, I'm not quite sure what it is because if we're talking about values, I would certainly expect every generation to, to still aspire to having good values. So I think showing personal discipline, I think it's always very, very important. I think it's a mistake to talk about the modern players not being disciplined. They're much more, it, it might be um, a higher maintenance situation now because i mean you just have to factor in the different nationalities the 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 different cultures but i think providing that there are times and spaces where the behaviors are expected to be the same so for instance meeting rooms you know when the team is together i think players still do like to have structure but structure doesn't mean it's to be draconian in its ways it can be you know you can have structure and you can have rules which govern how they cohabit together but it's a lot more powerful if they've had some sort of an input in it that's a lot more powerful than if it's forced on them by somebody else so you know i'm a big believer in having respect and having simple things like timekeeping i mean i i hate being late myself and i really don't like people being late on me and I don't think I'll ever change that, but I suppose that comes from my my upbringing and my. But for me, that's a that's a, a very important individual thing for me. I work with Glenn Roder. Glenn Roder, a, a, a really lovely guy to work for. But even he used to say, "I'm I'm working to Glenn time today," because Glenn Glenn would he's wired a different way to me, a lot more spontaneous and a bit you know a bit. But that doesn't mean he's disrespectful. It, it's just that we we just have slightly different ways of seeing things. But as I'm saying now, with the modern player, what's a modern player? Well, the modern player is a young man and and I'm not so young anymore. So maybe it's something where, you know, I have to adjust my thinking as well. And and I think that's what I always, always try and find a way of making contact with people. And it's got to be authentic. I mean, that's another word that is really important. There's got to be an authenticity to how you work, for sure, because people can smell a fraud a mile off. There's no doubt about that. And 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 so regardless of your own personal trait, I, I think, again, people can feel and sense authenticity. And I think that's always important to remember as well. But if I, if I can say so, what appeared to happen, not just to, I think we're getting too Watford-centric here, but in, in all the clubs you've worked at, you've often formed close relationships with your players and you did create that you completely transformed the fortunes uh, last year at Vicarage Road how did you manage to do that because 
as you say, you said you're not in the first flush of youth, but they 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 gravitated towards you. They came towards you and, and wanted you to help them. And does that change now as as the next generation of player comes through the comes through the academy into professional football? No, I don't necessarily see that being different because players still want to enjoy themselves. All we try to do was keep things relatively simple, make training enjoyable, increase the tempo of it, make it more game situations. I felt that what was needed was a just a, a fresh impetus and, and give the play, try and give the players some belief. Look, in the end, it, 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 didn't, it didn't quite pan out. And maybe with the intervention of the lockdown period, people talk about momentum being lost. You know, it was never a, a straightforward thing to recover from, but we gave ourselves a fighting chance. And you'll probably have to give me a, a little bit more technical information on this or, or scientific evidence on this. But when I think there is sometimes a, a point where, where you've got absolutely no chance and your head is free to play, to, to all of a sudden be in a position where uh, you're nearly at the you're nearly at the end of the journey, and yet maybe the pressure starts to the realization the end of the journey starts to get closer, and so different pressures potentially can start coming back on, and and that's that's always something that's you know um, you don't want it to coincide with um, a loss of form, and we had that sort of a, a difficult period for sure. Well, Nigel, I, I can let you into my. It's, it's it's not the world in which you you inhabit because you you leave from the you know you leave from the front you're the head manager you're the head coach you're the head leader but my my last role and current role in professional football which I'm still honoured to have was at Brentford Football Club and we had that similar experience last year whilst you were trying to stay in a league we were trying mm-hmm. to get into your league and we won eight on the spin after lockdown which only Real Madrid and Bayern Munich did to get ourselves into a, a chance to go up and then we found ourselves with a chance to go up by having to win one more game and we didn't. Mm. Uh, because we lost it, you know, we can I can reel them off. We lost at Stoke, uh, and we lost at home to to Barnsley, and one one win out of those. In fact, one point I think in hindsight would have been enough. But mm. the, the the pressure changed, and I think sometimes Nigel, we look for science, we look for reasons, we look for answers, we look for everything for the evidence, and sometimes it's just invisible, and mm. it just appears from nowhere. And I know you didn't do the last two games at Watford, uh, and I certainly wasn't involved because of COVID the last two games at Brentford. But it, it's it's getting over the line, which which is the greatest, the greatest hurdle of them all. Which is why I admire teams and coaches and managers who can who can do that because it, it is the hardest. It's the final steps, the hardest one, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. You sometimes just got to run with it. You've got to allow things to. If you're always trying to control, I think that's where it becomes more difficult. Uh, one of the one of the tricks to succeeding sometimes is just feeling the freedom and allowing it just to. To keep rolling because in that way players can sense tension from somebody in my position players can see that and, and players can sense it around training grounds as well you know at Watford for instance I like the training ground a lot but what you had to do was spend quite a bit of time on your feet because in terms of the flow of the place it wasn't particularly good so there are opportunities for people to find places to not be visible so <laughs> You know, what, one of the things that I think is always important in, in my role is to be visible and to be available and to be, if you like, to try and give reassurance to people by, even if you're, even if inside you're feeling not quite as positive, you're still going to have that. I think you can give out a, a positive air and positive message just by your body language. So, but I mean, you've got to invest time in doing that. 
Definitely. I think also, also it's I think it's our human nature at times when we're feeling the pressure and we're a bit fatigued and we're a bit worried. The easiest thing to do is to retreat into your office, into your own bunker, when in fact people just want to see how you are. Even if you're not feeling at your best, as you say, you've got to carry it off. So in touch on something you said there, Nigel. I mean, when a player does ask why, which, you know, not just the modern player, but players increasingly do, I guess, because they're intrigued to know the thinking behind decisions. That you, what, what do you need to consider when you answer that question? You know, especially... When you think about the form, maybe the teams in or the place where the club is at, you know, if a if a player asks for feedback as a leader, how do you how do you think about answering that? Well, that depends very much on the circumstances. I mean, if you're talking about players wanting to know why they're left out, and look, you okay, so having an open door policy is, I think, very very important for myself. There are times that you choose to be economical with the information because. You know, once you get to a point where there is a, a feeling of having to justify a decision to an individual rather than the individual understand their position within a squad. And let's face it, we are trying to achieve something. So it depends very much on the individual, depends very much on the circumstances. There will be times that I think it's very, very important, depending on the character traits of the individual to give them honest feedback. There are times that you really do need to give players constructive feedback. There are times that it has a, a greater impact if it is brutal and blunt. You've got to decide as well whether a player's, you know, th this is where it becomes complex, where you've got to make a decision as well whether you're prepared to lose that player or not. So there are times that you have to compromise your own, I was going to say moral, uh, stance, but it, it you could decide to go against your gut feeling because you feel that it's more beneficial for the group that you don't exactly give the full picture because it's beneficial to the group. And so it's this is why it's important to try and get a handle on not just a player as a technician and, and as a, a cog in, in the machinery. It's about get, trying to understand the impact of that personality's reaction. And so Sometimes there are sacrificial lambs, unfortunately, and sometimes you have to, to be prepared to ease back on how you feel, again, for the good of the group. Do you still trust your gut instinct, Nigel? Would you trust your gut instinct when you see players, the feel of a mood, the feel of a group, without waiting for the science to, to back you up? Do you still trust your eye? It's something that I, I've talked about quite a lot with staff I've worked at, at, at numerous clubs. Why? Because I am a, a huge, you know, I endorse science in the modern game, you know, especially when we're talking about sports science and, and loading. I, I want my players to be available. I don't want them, decisions to be made because they're not available because they're injured. You know, I really do want a fit and available science. So it's really important that, that we utilize science, but that we don't ignore our eyes as well. And I think this is where this is where communication within, within a staff, a group of staff, is also vitally important. Uh, um, one of the things that I, I really am, I find it difficult when I, when I enter a club and there is a disconnect between departments in, in a football club where they've been working independently, either because the communication is poor at the club or whether there is a lack of understanding of the need for collaboration in between the departments as well. So I'm really 
that's where as a staff you can you can get added benefits by yes you've all got your areas of expertise and so there needs to be conversations based on an expertise level but there also has to be an observational conversation based on the dynamics of what's happening as well and i think the two things together if you if you combine expertise in the field that you work so whether that's medicine sports science whether it's the coaching side of it the the, the football the technical side of that whether it's statistical side whether it's the mental coaching supporting side or sports psychology however you want to call it whatever or performance based people have different names for different roles but the bottom line is if you as a group of staff can't discuss players and combine anecdotal evidence with scientific evidence i think you're missing a trick because i think the combination of the two really do paint a a more accurate picture of what players are with regards to the player the current modern player what more do they demand from a leader now as opposed to just you demanding you know effort from them at three o'clock and all or 7.30 on a Tuesday. What more do they demand from you now uh, as, as, a, as a modern coach? They make you more accountable in many ways. Yeah, I think there's a there's an added pressure and it can be, you know, you get some very strong characters and they, they are very capable of testing your knowledge and testing your, yeah, testing your your willingness to take responsibility, which is really quite an interesting concept. But again, I, I find that quite a stimulus, you know. I, I find that to be quite an interesting type of scenario to be in because it really is, it's an interesting challenge. I mean, time is the one thing as a football manager or as a head coach, whatever the role is. It, it, time is the one commodity that you really don't have a lot of. And one of the things, I suppose it's a mantra I work to myself is, is about doing everything I can to buy time, to make the decisions that I want to make. And a lot of that is to do with how you shape the team. And, you know, one of the hardest things still remains in football is to have enough time to build a team that that reflects what you really want to do. And if you take, for instance, Watford, because we've talked a little bit about that already. When I took that job, I knew that recruitment I had nothing to do with that. And so some people might argue that that would be difficult for me. For me, I just simplified it in my own head and, and, and just said, it's one less thing to worry about. I made a deal with myself, and that is to accept that I'll work with what I have. And I had no problem with that. You know, so it, 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 I suppose that's an example of trying to, at least in your own way and in your own head, is come to terms with the, with the situation that you're going into. So in a lot of jobs I've had, one of the hardest things has been getting the players out that you don't want, uh, but still no, but still getting enough out of them while they're there until you can get them out. It's a really difficult thing to do. You spoke there of, of your relationship with Glenn Rode, who I've had the pleasure of meeting also in the last couple of years, and he was on Glen Time. I think having shared... <laughs> Having shared a two and a half hour taxi ride one day from from an airport to Dundee with with Craig Shakespeare and back and then getting his phone number, which was fatal. Uh, I, I think that having someone like Craig Shakespeare there would would be that wonderful uh, that wonderful lieutenant for you to help foster all that trust and belief in which you know you have to get from players because I think he's doing the stuff that you possibly don't see. Very much so. I think it's always important to try and get people that you work with who can complement and balance off either your strengths, deficiencies, etc. You know, I've gone into some jobs without having anybody alongside me who I have got, you know, trust is so important (laughs) in life. 
never mind in, in, in sport. Again, I think you've sometimes got to remember your own needs. And, and I don't want to paint a picture that Craig is just a support. But Craig's a really good coach. He'll have a chance at managing himself again. And I think he'll do really well. Uh, and it's just really important to have people that you can trust who also understand you a little bit as well. And that's not to say it's all about being best buddies or, you know, or it, and Craig's a really funny guy. Um, but he's also, he's got a really steely side to him. He's probably sterner than I am in, in, in some ways. Again, we're talking about a team. Football's about uh, trying to get a group of 11 players to perform and make sure that the ones who are grumpy because they're on the bench or grumpy because they're not playing are still supportive enough of the players who are playing because the shared goal should be the most important thing. Difficult to get. Same for the staff. Absolutely the same for the staff. So it really is about trying to foster a collective feeling that this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. And and everybody plays a role and go back to the initial topic of conversation. And that is, that's why it's so important to invest time in people, not because you're trying to get something out of them. That's a byproduct of actually being bothered about them and caring about them and being interested in them because actually you show an interest. It means that I might see something or another member of staff, it might cross their mind that, by the way, I can help you with that. And that's how you build this culture of collaboration. But it doesn't happen overnight. It, it sometimes takes a long time. But I can tell you, uh, I know, I mean, I still keep in contact with some of the staff at Watford different nationalities i met some really good people there who really appreciated being valued very simple can senior players as well be a big part of that you know I mentioned staff a lot in in terms of instilling behaviors and maybe norms in the dressing room do you kind of lean on the senior players in the dressing room sometimes to to help with that as well yes you can but but this senior player i mean the one of the things that, you know, when I was just starting out on the coaching side, get your senior players on side. And there is mileage in that to a certain extent. But what if your senior players are the ones that you need to get out because they're the bad influences? So it doesn't always work like that. But I think what how you can connect with senior players is actually who takes care of the senior players. So if it's just about, right, we need them to help us, who's going to help them? And I, I have a really strong belief because in my own career, I know that even in my early to mid-30s, I felt I was still learning and understanding better about the game. Yeah, in some ways, I was getting better as I got older. So if we just talk about developing young players, I think we're missing a trick. We, we can play, Players are capable of developing up to the day that they finish playing. Why not try and harness their experience and strengths, but also invest some time in trying to improve them as players as well? Because, again, it's not always something that's done. And I think players can respond very, very well to that. Some players, some players won't, but, but some players will appreciate the idea of improving them. Why not? Why not indeed? If you can look forward five years from now, we can't look forward to tea time tonight, let alone five years, but mm. how do you think it might look five years from now, Nigel? VAR, I think, will develop and become something which will, in time, be a very useful a very useful thing. I'm a big uh, advocate of, um, of technology in sport. I, I think it can have more than a few teething problems with that. 
elite sport it is about quality and it's about it's about winning courses but i fear for how the our domestic game might look bearing in mind what we're experiencing at the moment in terms of how the game gets more and more athletic and more physically demanding year by year honestly the gap that you notice when you go from the championship to the premier league uh, in terms of the athleticism and the pace and power it's just quite remarkable and can it keep uh, the, the sorts of progressions in that regard? I don't know. I hope what we don't ever lose is, and, and this is where I think the technology hopefully will bring it back, but I, I wouldn't like it to become just like a set play, and a, a overly tactical exhibition. I think what gives us the passion, the volatility is something that the emotional, the emotional volatility, I think has to be a part of sport. I hope we don't lose that. I hope we don't lose, you know, people talk about characters in the game. I hope we reinvent our own identity because I think that's one of the things when you become such a multi multinational sport like we are in England, for instance, you know, it, I think what we need to try and do is maintain the integrity of our competition for what it is. And, and hopefully we will do that. But five years is an awful long time. You, you said you said yourself, Michael, that, you know, one of the things I noticed from being away from England for a couple of years, working in Belgium, coming back and then working in the Premier League. One of the things that I noticed immediately, how much the, the media influence had absolutely mushroomed. It, it had gone from, from being very intense to remarkable. I, I was going to use the word intrusive. Maybe it is in some ways, but it's actually just the interest in the product of the Premier League is just massive. And I, I think it, it's... It gives you a bit of a reality check as to, on lots of different levels, really. I hope we still have spontaneity, because I think if we lose that, then for me, it, it loses some of the beauty of, of it being a sport. And Nigel, my two final comments. I hope all football managers in current jobs spend time in Dartmoor, preferably with you, because <laughs> that, gets them, that gets them away from the phone and the intrusion and the interest, because we could talk about it for 24 hours a day. And secondly, Nigel, uh, before I hand back to Matt, it's been good to meet you and see you again since the last time we did, which was which was a year ago. And I hope when the time is right, the position is right, the health is right, and and, and you have a haircut, of course, that you come back you come back into football you know, in, in the role that suits you, because I believe in, not old school, I do believe in right school more than ever and after your playing career your coaching career I think we need more of that and not less and on that note Nigel I'm going to say thank you on behalf of leaders thank you for your time this afternoon and on the edge of Dartmoor and uh, one day I might even join you in Dartmoor I'll bring my boots but I'm not going swimming in the lakes with you because that's just <laughs> that's outrageous yeah, so it's, Nigel it's, thank you very much my pleasure uh, and I'm going to hand back to Matt but thank you Aunt Nigel yeah, Nigel, just a, just a quick thanks from me and a really pleasure to chat to you kind of for the first time. I think we maybe spoke for a few seconds at Twickenham last year. But no, as Michael said, just please stay safe and uh, keep reflecting on those long walks. Hope to see you back in the dugout on the, on the touchline very soon. So take care. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. But if you've enjoyed it, then you can find many more like this and our At Home With Leaders series on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as on Spotify, iTunes or your preferred platform. Check us out at leaders underscore insight on Twitter as we'll post all our content on there as well. As I told you at the top of the episode, this feels like a new era for the high performance. So we've seen it as an opportunity for a new era for the Leaders Performance Institute too. We've been working hard behind the scenes to provide our members with more access to diverse knowledge, skills and networks they need as performance environments evolve. 
you want to push your thinking and actions even further, find out more about joining our unrivaled network of the world's high performance community by visiting leadsandsport.com forward slash performance. Thank you to John, Luke and the content team behind the scenes for putting these podcasts together. And thanks to our members and network for continued support on these conversations. We really hope you're enjoying them. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.